you tell yourself a story about how your way is the best, you're going to see all of the evidence that confirms that. It's called confirmation bias. And once you get that story going in your head, you're just going to keep doing it over and over and over and over, keep seeing it. And I had a lot of that going on. And I faced a lot of that while I was going through the program of understanding that actually, no, my way is not the best. And that other people's ways of doing things, especially in areas that are not my strengths, is going to be way better, simpler, more effective, and cause me a lot less pain. I wouldn't be where I am now if it weren't for my journey through influence ecology. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We're the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura County, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Always willing to help, but never able to ask for it, Tara Collison's journey as a student of influence ecology is a useful case study in the conceit of independence. She discovered that her independence was merely ego and that this view and the subsequent actions alienated others, left her exhausted, and had long-term consequences to her finances, health, and family. Now, eager to discover more of her own flaws, warts, and vulnerabilities, she's currently collaborating to expand her newly branded consultancy, Meddlers. As chief meddler, Tara blends her two decades of experience working in the Fortune 50 and her training as a psychologist to meddle where most are afraid to go. Also in today's Guru Talk, we listen in on a discussion about the naivety of self-sufficiency. Here's the interview. Welcome, Tara Collison, to the Influence Ecology Podcast. It's great to have you here with us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you today and share my experiences. Tell us about who you are and what you do. I am a psychologist by training, and after spending about 15 years in tech, I decided that my passion and the things I loved most about all of the roles I had was bringing out the best in people and understanding the intersection between what an organization is trying to do and the people who are trying to do it and maximizing the value to both. And so that's what my company Meddlers does is we come into organizations and help them align their people to their strategy so that everyone is winning and Many companies like to say that they're all about the talent and they're all about the talent being their competitive differentiation, but very few companies do it. And the ones who do really do have a competitive differentiation and they perform much, much better than those that don't. And so that's what we do. We help people unlock the power of their talent. Great. I would agree. Absolutely. I also love the name of your company and some of the things that you sent us 
So to say your name again, it's meddlers. Yes. Like to meddle with something. M-E-D-D-L-E, right? That's correct. So meddlers.com. And you sent to us um, some coffee bugs and some squeezy brains. Yes. In other words, they're um, typically stress balls, but they're in the shape of brains. And then, and then what's the message on it? Mind your business. Mind your business. Very, very great. All right. So mind your business. Say a little bit about the name of your company and what we should all think about when we think about meddlers. Meddlers is the second name of the company, and it's actually something that we did as a result of my involvement with Influence Ecology is rebranding the company. And the reason we chose meddlers is what we do is we come into the business and we help you get into those points of the business that might feel a little uncomfortable, that might feel a little bit like we're going someplace we shouldn't go. And we're doing that because what we're trying to help our clients do is understand those elements of their business that maybe they don't want to talk about, maybe they don't want to even look at, and help them look at those things in a way that unlocks what might be holding them back, And so what we want to do is help them mind their own business. We help them at the beginning and eventually they're helping themselves. And so that's why the tagline, mind your business. You mentioned that you rebranded during your participation with Influence Ecology. Say a little bit about why you got into studying with Influence Ecology. Somebody who was in the program recommended me and I started having conversations. And I really at first was doing it because what I wanted to do was grow my business and be thoughtful about how I started this endeavor of what has now become meddlers and a growing business at the time I had just started and really felt a little intimidated by all the things that I would need to be able to do to run a business. And I wanted a structure to think about all of that. I got into it, and in my conversations at the beginning of the program, I realized that it wasn't just about my business. It was about all these other areas of my life, which I was completely convinced were completely fine, and there were no issues. I don't have any issues with my money or my health or any other things. And what I quickly realized is that all of these things were related, and to make sure I was doing the right thing for my business, I would have to think about all of the things I wanted to do for my family, for my health for my finances, and that they were all actually connected. And I didn't realize that right away, but definitely got started in my business and found out it was about so much more, and, and which eventually led to rebranding, of course. That's great. And everybody has a journey through influence ecology, and the journey typically looks like before, during, and after. And some of what I love most about reading your notes about your own journey, uh, especially since you come from psychology, that particular background, and then obviously you're doing a lot of work with businesses and, and assisting them. We all have our own journey. One of my favorite notes in all the things that you said is that you were getting super comfortable with your flaws and warts and vulnerabilities and all those kinds of things because for many people, their success often comes with confronting or being okay with their warts and flaws and all of those kinds of things and being able to Mm -hmm. look at them rather directly. As you said, in talking about meddlers, being able to have the conversations that aren't necessarily so comfortable, looking at the reality of this or that. So I'd love to hear anything you want to say about what was it like for you to just get comfortable with all of that through your study here? At first, it was very uncomfortable. (laughs) And when I started articulating 
what did I want in all of the areas of my life and looking at how they intersected, how I was faced very quickly with the fact that I can't do all of this. And then that led me to, well, then I will need help in certain areas. And then needing help in certain areas, my mind works fairly strategically. I went to a complete logical place. Well, if I need help, then I should get help in the things that I'm not as good at. Of course, I think I'm good at almost everything because that's what an inventor does. <laughs> is we think, oh, well, we can do anything. Just give me a little bit of time and I'll figure it out. So I decided that I needed to get help in the areas of the things that I wasn't good at. And in examining those things, I started getting really comfortable with identifying and being okay with the things that I would say fall below the line. I like to think of what I'm going to spend my time on as above the line and the things that I shouldn't be spending my time on is below the line. And instead of having that line be drawn by what could get done by a certain time or what was directly related to a result I was trying to make happen, I found that it was better to think about those things in terms of the things I do really well and the things I don't do really well, which is a whole new way of thinking about it. And then this just opened the door to start looking at those things and confronting where am I just not that good at things. And I just need to be okay saying, hey, I'm just not so good at that and let other people who are good at those things and do those things on my behalf or with me, or in some cases, take it completely off my plate and I don't even know what's going on anymore. That's always nice. That's fantastic. I have a similar journey. You and I both identify as inventor personalities. And for those who maybe this is their first ever podcast listening, do you want to say what that personality is or what are some of the characteristics of that personality? Well, I think the biggest one that I identify with around the inventor personality is sort of living in the future and really thinking through what this thing is going to look like when it's done, when it's finished, this ideal future state. And I live my entire life through that lens. It comes with quite a bit of ego and a little bit of arrogance, if you will, about what we can do and how we can do it. And I have to admit that sometimes on the inside, I, I feel less confident, but what I project out to the world is quite a bit of confidence and that can look a lot like ego in, in some cases. And then we have this filter that we use with the world where you either get it or you don't. And if you don't, it's not a great thing. And so I see the world with that filter as well. And all of those three pieces of the inventor personalities, many other pieces to the inventor personality, but those three are the ones that I most identify with. And quite honestly, they were running me instead of me running that. So that future vision that you have is quite a useful thing. And I used a lot in business. I, I remember I was transitioning out of one role to another role in my career in technology. And they had like a roast, a go away dinner for me in that role. And my boss, who had been my boss for a very long time, he compared me to a prophet. He said that you see many years in advance, two or three years in advance, what's going to happen. And you're able to bring that to fruition and pull people along towards that vision. But sometimes when you only live in the future, you're missing a lot of things in the present. And that I learned about all of that and how that future anchor was completely running so many aspects of my life and causing me to be ignorant to the things I needed to do now and the things I needed to really be spending my time on. To me, 
that was both the beauty of the inventor personality, but also some of the things that I really had to face in the time that I took FOT and even into MAP, but I got a lot of that in FOT. It's a kind of asset liability bet. I think it'd be useful to spend a little time on that piece because this ultimately is a case study for someone who may not know anything about influence ecology or perhaps somebody that does. So if I want to study some things about my own personality, I'm an inventor and I want to study things about my own personality, or if I want to study the personality inventor, let's say I'm another personality, I'm a performer, or I'm a judge, and I want to know, how do I talk inventor? <laughs> what do I address with that personality? Or what do I need to account for in the work that I might do with other personalities? So there's different ways to relate to what we can address here. But you wrote some beautiful things about the ego, the conceit, the arrogance of independence. And I think what's great about that is there's a rich body of things to account for in the the arrogance, conceit, ego of independence. Many inventors do find themselves working independently in their own mind out into the future and all of that you just said. Yep. But many people who are kind of out there leading the charge, you could say, find themselves suffering from the ego of independence. In other words, the error of independence. So you said some really great things about your own experience of that independence. You said, you know, some things about assuming you could do it yourself, happy to help other people, but not asking for it, trying to do it all, but alienating people, different things like that. And I'd love for you to just sort of tell us a little bit about some of what you discovered was the downside or the liability of the error of independence. For me, even from a very young age, I grew up in a family where my personality was very different from the rest of the people in my family. And I was very responsible from a very young age. In fact, just this last week had um, a passing in the family and very, very wonderful family member who did a lot of really wonderful things for people. And my dad says to me, you're the matriarch now. And you have been since my sister was married about 17 years ago. And how does that feel? Does that bother you? And I was like, no, I was like wearing that like a badge of honor. This is wonderful. I love that. I like trying to help. And I really identified with that because it's a perfect symbol of the independence of an inventor and wanting to be completely independent, completely in charge, seen as, oh, she can help us with anything, right? And I love that. And that there, but there is a lot of conceit in that. And there is a lot of arrogance and a lot of misjudgment in what you can do because you fuel this story for yourself that you can do everything and anything and therefore you should, and that you're going to do it better than anyone else. And that you commit to that, you see the world through those glasses. As a psychologist, I use a lot of neuroscience in my work, very fascinated with the brain, have been ever since probably my second psychology class in undergrad. And we're pattern-making machines. And so if you tell yourself a story about how your way is the best, you're going to see all of the evidence that confirms that. 
it's called confirmation bias. And once you get that story going in your head, you're just going to keep doing it over and over and over and over. You keep seeing it. And I had a lot of that going on. And I faced a lot of that while I was going through the program of understanding that actually, you know, my way is not the best. And that other people's ways of doing things, especially in areas that are not my strengths, is going to be way better, way simpler, way more effective and cause me a lot less pain. But then that brought me to the second problem or challenge of an inventor, which is asking for help and being good at asking for help, feeling comfortable asking for help. Because the minute you ask for help, there's an implicit acknowledgement that there's something wrong and that you can't do it. And that's a really hard thing for inventors to admit and hard for me to admit. And I feel sometimes like a failure if I have to ask for help. I'm still not good at asking for help, by the way. I'm, that is still a journey. It's going to take me a long time to get better and better at that. I'm working on it. And I wouldn't be where I am now if it weren't for my journey through influence ecology. I wouldn't have been forced to look at those things. My study group is an amazing group of people who will just put that in front of my face in a really uncomfortable way sometimes if I'm not doing what I need to do. I'm wearing my inventorness or my independence as a badge too much. I was really fortunate to have a great group of people surrounding me, both in the staff and the teachers that I've had throughout the influence ecology experience, but then also my study groups have been, both of them were, were amazing. I think it's safe to assume, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, that now with your growing or emerging ability to ask for help where you identify you could use it, perhaps you identify that you ought not do <laughs> Yep. This thing or that thing. What's beginning to unfold? How is it impacting the business, the growth of the business, the experience that other people have in your company or with the people you're working with? What's happening? If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. So a few things happened. First, I realized... I needed to build my business in a way that there was a system attached to it, a system that did not rely on me. My business when I started was 100% about Tara Collison coming in and consulting. And I needed to build a system and I needed to have tools and products, if you will, we sell services that are packageable and can be delivered by other people besides myself. That was my first big challenge. In fact, I took a break in my influence ecology studies to find that thing so that when I went to MAP, 
I had that anchor of what that thing was. I took, I took about a three month break and identified that thing and started building it up. The second thing I did in between was find some help in the areas that I'm not good at and the things that I don't like to do, I'm less comfortable with. And so I, I brought on the first employee and also found that thing. That then led us to rebranding because the company, when I first started it, was again, 100% about me. And so I needed to find a way to brand the company and talk about the company in a way that's not about Tara Collison. Hence the name Meddlers. We went to an agency and started doing the work that we needed to do to rebrand the company about the work we do and the outcomes that we provide to a company who's struggling and came up with the brand. Probably the first half of MAP was spent doing that work. I'm curious about that because going to a company to get help with that, I would imagine may have been a new thought for you or a new kind of endeavor. You probably in the past would have just done it yourself. Yes. <laughs> I know what I want or how this might look and so forth. So was there any letting go in, in that process? Anything you want to share about your inventor journey through that process real briefly? Yeah, I think two things that are big. I did run a marketing team in my corporate career. I, I was on sort of a, a track and I had done a lot of different kinds of things, run a lot of different kind of group, moving up to management. And I ran a marketing team and did a huge identity and rebranding project. So my normal inventorness would be like, ah, I could do this. Totally I know could what do to this. do. I got this covered. <laughs> I've done this before. I ran a marketing team. I rebranded a global program once back in 2006 or seven, whenever that was. And so instead of going there, I actually said, I know what it looks like to do it right. I know what the value of getting it right is. And I know this is part of the foundation for what I'm trying to build. And so I leveraged a few things that would feed my inventorness and then said, okay, let's find people that can do that. And then I delegated the finding of the agency to the new person on the team, I said, here's what we need. I want you to inter interview X number of local companies. Bring me your top five, and then we'll talk to the top two. And then we found it that way. And all I had to do was look at the top five's website and say, no, 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 yes, and yes. And then we had two phone calls, and we hired the agency. And then from there, it was going to meetings, and it was great. There's no way I ever, ever could have come up with meddlers or mind your business or the color scheme, or any of the stuff that they did. They were fabulous. They did a fantastic job and way better. And so then that sort of reinforces, ah, this works. So then that starts getting you going a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So good. Such a great demonstration of exactly what we're talking about. Very, very good. And <clears throat> now is it your vision and intent that the systems and structures and the process that you've now created that can be led by others can grow and scale? I'm assuming, yes. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. And it's a little obvious in the story about your having turned over the rebranding process to another person. I would imagine that freed you up in ways that are new to you as well. And since you initially started talking about all the other areas of life and how they're really tied together, how are you starting to see this new approach impacting the satisfaction of other conditions of life and the work you no longer have to do or your free time or relationship with loved ones or family? There's a few things. First, 
I am able to, I call it integration instead of balance. Because to me, the reason why, one of the reasons why I have my own business is to be able to have a more fluid integration between my home life and my work. And that they're really the same thing. It's just where am I spending my time in that moment? So I work out of my home office primarily. We do have some office space, but I don't spend a lot of time there. And I am here when my kids get home from school and I'm able to go to every soccer game as long as I'm not on the road or traveling at the time. And if the kids need me during the day, I can go pick them up from school because there's fluidity to how I work. And then I think the second thing is that I'm able to think about the organization and serving a particular client as a fluid thing. How do I create a system in which I'm not needed for every single piece of things? And even if I'm the primary on a particular engagement, I have one right now where I am the primary and a woman that works for us is secondary. But if I need to step out for a moment, I have it set up where she can step in. She knows everything that's happening with the project. She's able to step in and do things. And I'm continuing to hire folks that are complementary to my inventor personality so that I have certain things that you can just turn over and you don't have to do it at all because it's their primary personality type and it's what they would want to spend time doing. Then I have other things where we're backing each other up so that none of us feels like we're a single point of failure. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not all the way there yet. I have a lot more to go in terms of creating uh, the right systems but I'm getting there. Then this trickles into my health, of course, because my peace of mind is so much greater than it was a year ago and 18 months ago, because I know that I have a way to handle anything that comes my way. And I have systems built into my life around working out and eating healthy and my, my finances and all of this stuff is now integrated and it's a, it's a system. It's not a, a bunch of things that are independent of each other. It's a system. Yes. And I used to think of them as discrete things like a waffle. It's not a waffle. It's a pancake. It's a pancake. It's all there. <laughs> and so if one part of your pancake's not working, then you've got a problem with your syrup, right? It's not going to work. I like to think of my, my life as a pancake instead of a waffle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. That's great. I think what I'd like to do is just recap and you tell me if there's any aspect of this that's missing because your journey is a beautiful demonstration of an independent consultant in a role where there's only so much of you. Yes. And only so much you can grow and only so much you can do and only so much you can scale. And therefore, it impacts how much you work how much money you can make, it impacts your free time, it impacts all those kinds of things. So what you've done is basically confronted the ego. You've confronted the need to be recognized for being able to do it all and now have created an entire new brand, system, structures, gotten help, unafraid to ask for help. Sort of now it sounds a little bit like, hmm, where else am I, where else am I to ask for help? <laughs> yep. And then freed yourself up to live life as you desire. And so I, I think that's basically the journey. Yes, of course, there's always now testing and modifying, testing and modifying. 
But that sort of captures the journey as I heard it. Is there anything else you want to say about that? It's affected prioritization as well. That's like the one thing that I think so much differently about. I still have a little bit of the what's up for this week, what's up for tomorrow, that kind of thing in terms of being able to just manage client engagements and things like that. But how I prioritize the system looks so much different today than it did 18 months ago before I started and getting involved in this journey. And I have a long way to go still, but how I think about where I'm going to spend my time and spend my precious resource of, of my effort and spend the precious resource of somebody else's effort, it looks so much different now than a year and a half ago. Beautiful. Want to give you an opportunity to soapbox about anything, anything you'd like to say? The way I think about what I got out of influence ecology is that I think I implicitly understood some of this stuff, but definitely my journey made it explicit. And I can't overstate how important this is. But you, what you learn about and what you find out about is that this intersection between what you're trying to make happen in your life, your aims or your goals, and the intersection between that and personality and what you're naturally good at because of who you are, and then the overlaying of experience and expertise and what you bring to the table because of your experiences, and that with a moment in time. What are you trying to do right now towards that long-term journey? And the intersection of those four things, if you can manage those things simultaneously and understand each of those elements enough with enough clarity that you can be playing in that intersection, it's like the most important accelerator that is out there. And that's what, one of the things I try to do for businesses. But if you can do that in your own life, you'll, be, you'll have this ease and flow that you can't get anywhere else. And it's really about bringing those four things together. And that's what you get when you work with influence ecology. That's what you get when you take the time to invest in yourself because it's work. Facing this stuff is hard and uncomfortable. And sometimes you're wishing you could go to the movies with the kids instead. And it's work to do it. It's a commitment, but it's worth it because you get yourself in that intersection and then you earn all of those rewards on the back end. Really great. You were brilliant. I haven't had the opportunity to spend this much personal one-on-one -on -one time in a dialogue with you, but I am thrilled with what your clients must experience in working with you because you're articulate. You do a great job of creating examples and analogies like waffles and pancakes. You do a really great job, and it's a pleasure to share your journey with our listeners and appreciate your time. It's been fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And thank you for everything that you and Kirkland and the entire team does. It's really such an important investment in time and energy that you guys put towards it to make it an experience where we all get these benefits on the other end. And so thank you both so much. And thank you all so much. I appreciate it. And I look forward to more. Fantastic. As I said, in our Guru Talk, we listen in on a discussion about the naivete of self-sufficiency. We've had many discussions about the self-sufficiency movement where people think to grow their own food, make their own clothes, etc., and are nostalgic about the good old days. Only those days are filled with labor, hardship, and isolation. Here's the talk. Autonomy is not self-sufficiency. Being autonomous 
does not mean that you are self-sufficient. In fact, the way we define autonomy at Influence Ecology is having more help than you need. Why in the world would somebody go into business for themselves to be free and autonomous, to be able to come and go as they please, to live a life as they choose, and then do everything themselves? My experience of that is people tend to have a naive or an ignorant notion about what it means to be independent, free, and autonomous. My experience of that is people tend to have a naive or an ignorant notion about what it means to be independent, free, and autonomous. And that's a mistake. (laughs) The closer you get to self-sufficiency, the more labor is required for you to reach that end. Think about it. To be fully self-sufficient means that you're doing everything. To be fully self-sufficient means that you rely on no one else to provide the needs and wants to care for yourself and your family. Autonomy is having more help than you need. Autonomy is about resources. Autonomy is the ability to wield or to implement, to deploy resources, to take care of the things that you don't or can't go do yourself. What are you going to do? Go grow your own food? You're going to go go out in the chicken coop and make sure all the eggs are gathered and every now and then grab yourself a hen, go chop down the wood and build? Of course not. If you observe the kind of work and the kind of action that's taken by people who are seeking to live an independent and free and autonomous life, they've got it backwards. They're trying to do it all themselves. We see it all the time. People start a business, they'll go into some kind of enterprise or they'll take on some kind of consultancy and they want to be free, so they're going to do it themselves. That's a problem. You end up putting yourself in a condition or a state of labor. Labor is all that activity that is required to maintain your existence. Labor is maintenance. Labor is the stuff you got to do to maintain the things that you've got. Labor is used up in its making. When you dust a tabletop, the minute that you are complete dusting up that tabletop, dust begins again, and it will be required again and again and again to maintain the state. That's labor. Labor's the routine and the rote and the maintenance of life. Hannah Arndt actually calls labor life itself, and I don't disagree. Labor is required. Maintenance is required. You will need to clip your toenails from time to time. There's maintenance involved in the activity of life, and that's labor. We want to limit that as much as possible, and the way you do that is with help. You do that with resources, and the resource that's available to us mostly is people. Autonomy is having more help than you need. Autonomy is having more resources available to you than you need at any time. That's what it means to be free. That's what it means to be able to avoid threat. That's what it means to be autonomous, is having more help than you need. The way to get there is to learn how to people. Build surpluses in areas where you know you will likely need help. Transact for the help that you need in the areas that are important to you. And for many of us, what that is going to mean is lots and lots of help from lots and lots more people. 
the further away you get from labor, the better off you're going to be, the more autonomy you will begin to experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, you can do so on our website or go to iTunes and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank Tara Collison for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with her and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Her staff includes episode producer, editor, and music supervisor Jason Kelly with Tyson Crandall and Carol Gregory.